of you know that I like to, uh, to fish a little bit. I'm not a very good fisherman, um, but I enjoy fishing. I like putting my kayak on the water. Um, I like to go to the lakes whenever the wind's not too bad. Anything over two or three miles per hour, it gets seasick pretty quickly out there. Uh, but I did go to Somerville on, on Friday. I had my boat in the water by about 7.15. It was just glass. I mean, and, and that's great until about uh, 85 degrees when there's no wind to cool you down and you're cooking from both sides and, and both ends there. And so, and obviously, like I said, I'm not a very good fisherman, but I, I always go fishing with the hope of catching fish, right? I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you might know part of the trauma that I experienced as a child was when my stepdad married my mom when I was about three and a half. Uh, he had no children, didn't know what to do with children, and so he would tie a hot dog onto a, a hookless line and just leave me there and then come back every hour or so and tie another hot dog on. And so maybe that's probably what I should do because it's just as effective as where I was. But, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm out there on the water and I'm, I'm, I'm fishing and I'm, I'm, I've got my technology, my fish finder and GPS and all that stuff going on. And I, I go up this creek and, and I'm thinking, okay, you know what, maybe I'll go up this creek because I've been here years ago and I've caught fish here before. Because that's what we do, right? We revert back to what we know works. And so I went there before, and I didn't get maybe 50 yards into this creek back there that's about as wide as this aisle at some place with trees hanging over, and about a six, eight-foot snake is about from me to, the, to the, not even the back of the, of, of the room here. And my hope changed from catching fish to not getting into an encounter with this snake. And I don't know... I, I learned that I can paddle backwards almost as quickly as I can paddle forward. Um, and so as I'm paddling backwards, the snake is, is, he's not coming right at me, but as far as I was concerned, he was coming right at me, right? I mean, in the moment, all my hopes changed and all my, my trust, all my confidence was in my ability to get away from that snake, right? By the way, dumbest possible solution because I'm in his territory, there's no way. I've been fishing in, in six inches to a foot and a half, and all of a sudden I'm in five feet of water, and I'm whatever he wants to do, he's going to do it that day, right? Now, maybe as a younger person, I might feel a little better than what I do today because the second part of my hope when I go fishing is that I recover a little better. But I'm sore today. Some of you young people don't understand this. When you get old... You can't do the same stuff that you used to do. Joe, today's your birthday, so you, you know what I'm talking about, right? right? Hope is such an interesting thing. And it's so misunderstood and so misguided sometimes. And, and, and I think we place our hopes in the wrong places. Back in the, in the, in the late 70s, before Funfair Positive whatever uh, sporting came into play, there was a, a, a kid playing right field. Do you all remember the song? I play right field. You, you don't have to sing that with me. Some of you might remember that. Anyway, he's back there in right field, and the guy walks up to him, and he goes, wow, y'all are down 18 to nothing. You must be pretty disappointed. Kid just looks at him and goes, why would I be disappointed? We hadn't been at that yet. <laughs> you see, sometimes we get this despair and this disappointment comes in and we replace it with some measure of hope but there's this, this childlike attitude where he looks and he goes I've got this hope here because I hadn't even been at bat yet right I mean nobody's even giving me my t you, they only scored 18 points wait do you see what we do 
right? There's this, it, there's this optimism about that, and that, that's actually what the world's ideal of what hope is. It's just this optimism, and hope always being future-focused is this optimism that, that right now is what it is, but later will be better. Future will be better. It will be different then. It will be elevated. It will be different, and that, that's what hope really is. Hope is rarely, if ever, really rested in the present when it's actually looking for the future, and that can be very fatalistic if we're not careful. Because we look at the present in such t- terrible terms that we can't see for a better tomorrow. Now, hope is great. The English have this term when it comes to uh, what they call football, or we would call soccer. They, they say that it's the hope that kills. That, that, that they can deal with the, the disappointment and the defeat and the letdown and the despair, but it's the hope that actually kills you. It's the hope that we, we could win this game. It's the hope that we, we might rise above. It's the hope that we might do better. That actually is what really drags you down and tears you down. And, and friends, let's, let me tell you something. That's exactly what happens when our hope is rested in something other than Jesus Christ. Is that hope kills you. That hope absolutely lets you down. That hope destroys you. Listen t- with me for just a moment. Because I want you to understand how, how hope is such a vital part of who we are that claim to be Christ followers and how we ought to act as a, as a, as a living hope that, that is within us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says this, says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Did, did you hear that? That's what we are right now what great love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of god because that's what we are the reason the world did not know us is because they did not know him dear friends now we are children of god now we're going to be not it's possible. Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, listen to this, we shall be like him. Man, if that doesn't mess with you and stir you up, something's wrong with you. Did you hear that? Now we are children of God and we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Here it is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We have said over and over and over again that the goal of Christianity is not to be a better person. It's to be like Jesus. And if we're saying right now that if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and believe him to be the Son of God who died, rose again after three days, wiping out all of our sins, we are children of God. We have been given this lavish love put upon us. So Christ followers, those of you who, who identify in that category, let me just ask you this. Do you understand the responsibility of sonship in the kingdom? Do you understand that right now and always, not not future, that you are a child of God and you may not know what you're going to be like when Christ returns, but you do know you will be like him. And so start practicing now. Well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know that I should do that. I don't even know what that looks like. 
It looks like putting our hope, our future, what we will become in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. A study was done in 2013. It studied a bunch of pastors and it asked them a lot of questions regarding their spiritual walk, their life, their stress, their family, all these other things. I'm going to read you some of these statistics, and I want you to understand why I'm reading these statistics to you, because I have been given this great lavish love upon me that I might be called a child of God, just like any of you who have proclaimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior the same. And so you walk through the same hardships as all the rest of us. I don't know what it is to fully walk in your shoes, but I'm going to tell you what it is to walk in, in the, the shoes of a pastor and what I have done for over these years. And, and some of these things I can absolutely identify with. Some of these things I can't identify with. And some of these things frighten me. And I, I just want you to understand this because pastors themselves are not immune. It's ironic to me that, 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 that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. In my opinion, the, the evilest of all months because they, they fill us full of candy and then we celebrate ghosts and goblins and rising from the dead and all that other stuff too. You'd think it'd be November because of All Saints Day being November 1st and then there's turkeys, right? I mean, you'll catch it later. This is a study from 2013. It says this. It says pastors, 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% work between 55 to 75 hours per week. 90% feel fatigued and worn out every week. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 78% were forced to resign from their church. 63% of those at least twice, most commonly because of church conflict. 80% will not be in ministry 10 years later and only a fraction make it a lifelong career. On average... Seminary trained pastors last five years in church ministry. 100% of 1,050 reformed and evangelical pastors had a colleague who left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. 91% have experienced some form of burnout in ministry, and 18% say they are fried to a crisp right now. 70% of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they entered ministry. 70% constantly fight depression. 50% feel so discouraged that they would leave their ministry if they could, but they can't find another job. 80% believe their pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, and 33% said it was an outright hazard. 80% of ministry spouses feel left out and unappreciated in their church. 53% of pastors don't feel that seminary or Bible college prepared them adequately. That's a low number, I'm telling you. 53%, 47% of them are liars is all I got to tell you. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 50% do not meet regularly with an accountability person or group. 72% only study the Bible when preparing for sermons or lessons. Friends, as much as I love you, that stat right there tells me that they look just like the rest of their church. 21% spend less than 15 minutes a day in prayer. The average is 39 minutes per day. 16% are very satisfied with their prayer life. 47% are somewhat satisfied, and 37% are either somewhat dissatisfied or very dissatisfied. 
That's 2013. That's pre-COVID. That's pre-whatever else. That study's almost 10 years old. Every, every year in the United States, 1,500 churches close. They think by the time this pandemic is finished with, probably somewhere around 20, mid-2022, that at least one-fourth of all churches will be permanently closed, not reopened. Whenever a natural disaster strikes, one-third of churches are usually gone within two years after that natural disaster, like a hurricane or a major flood. Because it impacts both the pastor himself, his church, everybody else financially. We get into a place where we start looking and we start hearing things like, okay, we, and, and forgive me to an extent. Your people, you offer limited forgiveness. Jesus offers total forgiveness, okay? But we were told we might be able to gather together, remember, for Thanksgiving? Now we, then it was 4th of July. And we, we keep dangling these, these, these worldly hopes out in front of us for whatever the case may be. And when it doesn't come true, we get greatly disappointed and dissatisfied, right? When we put our hope in the wrong things, in the wrong places, and the wrong people, we are absolutely doomed to fail. But every single one of us are going to run into some sort of obstacle, whether it be 18-0 and 0 in the first inning, whether it be a job loss, whether it be a, a problem within my marriage, maybe it's a snake coming at you in a boat. Whatever the case may be, we're all going to deal with hard times and struggles and difficulties in our lives. And to say that we're not going to deal with those things is absolutely inhuman. But as Christ followers, we have to understand that there is a superpower literally in our lives that allows us to deal with those things properly. That allows us to look them right in the eye and say, come and get some of this if you want some. I'm going to keep paddling backwards because that's just smart. But there is something greater than this situation. And no matter how it turns out, my God does not change, and his love for me doesn't change either. And the most important thing is not how to avoid that, not how to get around that, not how to get over that, but to get through it with the hope of Jesus Christ. So this morning, my, 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 my plan is to show you how I, you, can cope with the hardships of life because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Basically, what I'm asking you to do is to look at the world and act absolutely foolish. My Jesus, he's got this. Does he? Those are great big words. It's kind of like anonymity on the internet. Oh, God's got this. That's not licensed to keep doing dumb things. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. If you've been following along with us in the Believe book, we're in chapter 25 this week, and we're, we're talking about hope, and essentially we're walking through all the elements of the fruit of the Spirit, and what we've been walking through is saying that if a person is a believer in Jesus Christ and has proclaimed that and is following in the footsteps of Jesus, not to be a better person but to be more like Him, then you ought to exude these types of characteristics in your everyday life. This is how you ought to live, and the fruit of this ought to be very clear in your life and the lives of others. And one of the best fruits I think that we can have as Christ followers, especially in a world who did not know us because they did not know him is that we would have a real and a lasting and an everlasting hope in the real person of Jesus Christ not in our own abilities not in the situation could change by somebody else not because we've done a little better or we've been morally better people but because we've trusted Jesus Christ to say that actually no matter what happens he's got this so 
of how do I deal with the hardships and struggles in my life. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 20 says this. I'm going to invite you to read this with me uh, on screen or, or in your mind. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, just good news, by the way, we have we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Friends, real hope is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ. Several weeks ago, while I was in my kayak, I met a very nice game warden. Never had one of those hit me in a kayak before, but he comes up in his boat, keeps bumping my kayak. I threw something overboard, and he goes, hey, what'd you throw overboard there? I had to stop for a second and figure out what it was. It was my anchor. And the guy says, why do you have an anchor on a kayak? I said, because eventually the fish bite, and I want to stay put because I don't have a trolling motor, and I want to keep fishing where the fish are biting. Oh, yeah? That's weird, man. I've never seen an anchor on a kayak before. Okay. Got your license with you? No, but I do have it online. Okay, well, you're too far away for me to come get it. What's your, what's your driver's license say? <laughs> My hope was he'd have left me alone. My second hope was he was going to find that computer where I had a fishing license. Because my hope was going to turn to reality, which we call faith and trust, that I'm about to get a ticket at best. And then I go back to hope again. You see how that works? In early Christianity, prior to about 313 AD, the Christian symbol was not the cross. The cross was a symbol of shame and suffering. The cross was not something that they would wear around their neck or would put bedazzled on their back pockets of their jeans. In case you're wondering, I hate that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't care that you paid $100 for that. That just means that somebody got $100 from you. <laughs> the Christian symbol was not the cross until Constantine actually accepted Christianity as a world religion. And, and he was so close to actually saying this should be the religious religion of the empire and said we're just going to permit it to happen. And in 313, Constantine actually said, I acknowledge Christianity as a potential religion that people should be able to worship freely. And the, the symbol was changed. But this is what the symbol used to look like. Can you show that picture for me? This is from um, 300 A.D. They found this in Rome. And if you'll notice there for a moment, you'll actually see an anchor, and you see the cross, and you can see either the halo or the crown of thorns at the very top, and the two fish, the fishers of men that are attached to the anchor. The anchor being a symbol for the early Christian church particularly would really speak to, I don't know, 12 guys who most of them were fishermen. Starting to make a little bit of sense. They would understand the necessity of this. Paul wrote multiple times how they would drop anchor whenever there was a storm coming. He actually wrote where they dropped four anchors, which I actually find hilarious because it's like, well, if one of them fails, I got three more, right? 
They would drop anchors, and they were told, listen, if we anchor this boat, we're still going to get tossed to and fro, but we won't crash against the rocks that we can't see out there in the dark. And so the hope of an anchor was that it would hit bottom, and it would grab hold of something at the bottom, and the ship would not move. That it may suffer some discomfort, but it would not be completely destroyed. And so the hope was, for the moment, I'm going to be in a tough spot, but the hope is I'm going to survive this. The sun will come up tomorrow, the wind will stop blowing, we'll pull the anchors back up, and we'll go where we're supposed to go. Paul, watching this happen, having an angel visit him, said, stay in the boat, because if any of you get out, we're all going to die. Because didn't we anchor our hope? at the very bottom of the sea here. And so the Christian symbol would be that, that we would anchor our hope in Christ alone. And you see that symbol there with the cross and with the crown. And you see the promise of, of, of go and make disciples, go be fishers of men. The storms that would come up that we see in the New Testament particularly were not uncommon. When we see where Jesus and the disciples where Christ actually says to them, come, let's go to the other side of the lake. And he takes a nap, and all of a sudden the, the winds and waves start coming, and they start panicking, and they come and wake him up. And they ask him, do you even care about us? Can't you see we're going through all this hard times? What they forgot was Jesus started the conversation with, come, let's go to the other side of the lake. Oh, you mean you were serious about that? We just thought that it was a good idea to go to the other side of the lake, and when chaos ensued, we could just abandon all hope. That when things got hard in my little life and things weren't working out the way they're supposed to, all I need to do is cry and blame Jesus. You know who you are. God, if you loved me, God, if you were here for me, God, you, my life wouldn't be so hard if you really loved me the way you said you did. Folks, that's a false hope based on a lie and a lack of knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said you weren't going to have hard times. In fact, we're told more in the New Testament that when troubles come, here's how you should respond. Here's how you should behave. Here's how you should act because others are going to see the hope that you are anchored to and they're going to glorify their Father in heaven. So when a Christian does not demonstrate a real hope in Jesus Christ, particularly when things get a little hard, guess what? You're essentially cutting the anchor. It's an anchor of convenience when you don't want to get into a conflict and you're already in the middle of that versus already understanding that, listen, no matter what the situation is, whether the sun rises or the sun sets, the wind blows or it does not, the fish bite or the fish don't bite, my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in following him because there is nothing this world can throw at me. And it throws some pretty terrible things at some of us that Jesus can't overcome. In fact, the, the last part of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 20 tells us that, that, that Jesus went into the holy of holies, the most holy of places, as our forerunner. That he entered into the presence of God so that we might know that we can follow him there as well and that we might have hope for a future. You see, when the veil was torn from top to bottom in the, the, the day that Christ was crucified, 
It wasn't just the outer veil, it was the inner veil where we walked into, where, where only the high priest was able to walk into that place. Someone like the order of Melchizedek, as we see. And he was the only one who could go in there one day a year on the Day of Atonement and stand before the presence of God and atone for the sins of the people. And when Christ came onto the picture, the anchor for our hope and our souls walked in, ripped the veil in two, and walked into the full presence of God. And he said this, now listen up, because this is important, because he says this millions of times throughout the New Testament, come follow me. Are you catching this? Because this is a beautiful picture. A perfect, sinless, full God, full man Jesus was crucified for something he didn't do to take on the sins of the world so that we might anchor our hope in him so he can walk into the presence of an almighty God and tell us that we're welcome to follow him in. And as long as we are covered by his blood and our hope and our faith is anchored in him alone, we can stand in the full presence of God. But without that hope, don't dare try it. They'll pull you out by a rope tied to your ankle. Dead. thing about hope that we often miss is that it's not just optimism it's not just wishful thinking it's not things that we can change in our lives it is the foundations of our faith because what we hope for now is the promises of the future and that our hope always real hope prioritizes God's promises today and God's promises for the future over today's problems catch that for a second Real hope prioritizes God's promises above today's problems. You ever, have, you ever have anybody ask you that? What's your problem? Nothing. What's wrong with you? I'm all right. And what, what, what's going on here? Oh, it's not important. And then you get the, some of those people that, you know, you, you know better than ask that question. Because it just went from, hey, how you doing, to... Friends, I get that and I understand that. But I want you to understand this. When you look at your problems in your life, and I don't mean to minimize them, I really don't. I understand. I understand that we all suffer in different ways and some things impact us differently than others. But they're no match for having a, a faith that is rooted, that is anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean you're not going to go through it because you're, you're probably going to. Because that perseverance is going to build up in us hope. And that hope is going to allow us to see Jesus who he is. And, and, and our faith will be sight. It's the hope that fuels us, not the hope that kills us, because Christ is not going to let us down. And even if you think that he's not there with you in, in whatever your issues are, whatever your problems may be, that's not true. Re Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says this, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You know how not to drift away? You set your anchor in the person of Jesus Christ. Catch that. Do you know how not to drift away? You anchor yourself in Jesus Christ. You spend time with him in his word, more than what many of the pastors did 15 minutes a day in prayer. You, you spend time with people who love and care about you and are just as messed up as you are. They're not called Christians, they're called people. 
and they got problems just like you do. But what you may have that they don't is a hope in Jesus Christ. And you know who needs that? Both of you. Both of you. You need to demonstrate that hope because someone else needs to see it and respond to it and anchor themselves in the person of Jesus Christ so that they don't drift away. A ship that has a rudder that's not tied or that's broken, that's not anchored, when it drifts away, it eventually goes to the rocks and it gets destroyed and it falls to pieces. It is no longer what it was. It has become something completely different. It has gone from a ship to a shipwreck. Some of you are shipwrecked. Bring your hope back to Jesus. Listen to this. It's not on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11 says this to us. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. What? They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Friends, you think you had issues. These are, these are the prophets of old. These are the ones who were foretold of a Messiah coming. This was Jeremiah who was told to preach to a, a whole city full of people who were going to mock him and persecute him, and he would never see Jesus personally. This was Elijah and Elisha who were performing miracles, who were getting mocked, who were getting hunted down, who caused fire to come down from heaven in the middle of a drought, who never saw Jesus face to face. This is Moses who for 40 years heard, are we there yet? And never saw Jesus face to face. It was their faith, their hope that was anchored in the future promise of a Messiah that would come and would redeem not only God's chosen people, but all people to himself. And they persevered on, even when they were beaten, flogged, sawed in half, and the works. And as far as your persecution goes, somebody on Facebook didn't like something you posted. should all be playing your tiny violins now. The second thing we see in this passage of Hebrews 6 is a great reminder for us because without trust, hope is really not valid. And the sad thing is that we, we have a temporary level of trust. Just out of curiosity, don't raise your hands. I don't feel like doing marriage counseling this week. How many of you know the passwords to your spouse's accounts on Facebook? couple of us might need to talk this week so you have trust in your spouse right you know the person who knows all of your secrets knows everything about you i really don't want them to have access to the bank account i don't want them to have access to this or to that so i have a, a limited amount of trust with the hope that they'll never find out isn't that interesting you see real hope can always be trusted there is nothing about jesus that has ever let us down Nothing that has, nothing that is, and nothing that will let us down. So we can always trust, and real hope causes us to trust differently. 
Real hope says that even and especially when I mess up, when I walk outside of the boundaries, when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, real hope says I love you anyway and I'm not going to change even though that you are. And the reason I'm not going to change is, is I'm anchored here with three nails on the cross for you so that I can't go anywhere and you always know where to find me. Real hope always can be trusted. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Really? Y'all notice that? My friend Jason and I talked this past week about oil prices. He said, $90 a barrel, is, 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 is that possible? He goes, 90 huh. That'd be a good day. Could be more than that. Might be the time to buy oil. I hope my truck gets me where to go. I hope it doesn't cost me 80 bucks to fill it up. The world tells us not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but the hope in their God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is not pleasure we're talking about. We're talking about enjoying the presence of an all-loving Father with no secrets. That's what enjoyment in Christ is. That intimacy on a level that so many of us long for. That's why our hope is so short-lived in so many other things. Psalm 118 8 and 9 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Boy, isn't that true? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in your pastor. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes, no matter what power or authority somebody else might have, the ability for them to make changes that, that sweep across our nation or our world, that change things. It's better to put your hope in Jesus Christ than it is in any elected official or any king or anybody who has this authority outside of God himself because you know what? They're human and they will let you down, but Jesus will not. He can always be trusted. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Except when things get really hard. And then we place our hope in a floating anchor. Friends, real hope also changes the way that we live. You know what a blissful idiot is? Y'all ever meet one of those? Come on now. What's that? Might be one, right? There's something admirable about this blissful idiot, right? You're all right now thinking, what is going on here? There's something admirable because they have no care in the world. They're just happy-go-lucky, and they're just jolly. Just no matter what comes their way, like, eh, oh, well, it happens. It's just part of it. There was a, a comedian who I'm, I'm not endorsing, but he made me laugh. His name was Emo Phillips, and Emo Phillips was in a, in a show called uh, UHF with a fine actor. Weird Al Yankovic was his name. And, and Emo was this, this, he was a, this Emo comedian, right? And he was probably about 6'5", weighed about 100 pounds. Like, you turn sideways, you, you lose him, right? And, 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 and he's, he's the shop teacher. And so he's out there, and goes, today we're going to cut some wood. And so he, he, he runs wood across the table saw and cuts his finger off. Well, of course, blood squirting all over the place, right? You're, right now you're really wondering what's happening here, aren't you? And he's like, oh, my, what happened there? And, you know, in movies, cinematography, blood's all over the place, right? He's like, is my face red, he says. I actually admire that to a level because that's crazy. 
But wouldn't it be great to say that no matter what happens, whether it be self-inflicted stupidity, just doing what it's supposed to do, or whether it be I did everything right, but somebody else pulled out in front of me and hit me on the freeway, I'm still going to trust God and put my hope in Him. That I'm going to be satisfied and that I'm going to change the way that I live and I'm going to stop blaming everything and everybody for all that's going on in my life. I'm going to take responsibility for my own actions and even the things that happen to me that are well outside of my control. I'm going to keep trusting God on this. And my hope is that today's a bad day, but tomorrow I'm going to be like Him. When we live in a different way because of the hope we have, we have friendship with Jesus, we persevere together, we overlook some of these things that ride on our nerves and we identify with those who suffer near and far. Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now let's just stop there for a second. It's only a great cloud of witnesses when they are walking in truth. It's pig pen when they're not. It's a cloud of dust and rubble and stench. It's the worst parts of humanity, particularly when Christ followers say, I follow Jesus, I just live differently in a bad way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scornful, scorning its shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured wearied and lose heart. You remember I told you the Christian symbol was not the cross in the early days. It was the anchor because it was a, a symbol of suffering and shame and scornfulness. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree, the Old Testament tells us. Real hope changes the way that we live. It changes the decisions that we make. It changes the choices we make in the sin that, that hangs on to us, that we pack into our backpack and say, I'm going to take this with me because I'm not ready to give this up yet, but I want everybody to know that I'm a Christ follower. I, I hope what you're seeing after the last couple of weeks and particularly the next couple of weeks, that I am especially talking to the Christ follower. I'm especially talking to the one who has made proclamation of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean for those of you who have not made that decision that I'm not talking to you. But what I want you to hear, if you've not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to hear. I'm sorry that we're imperfect, but I'm embarrassed that we're imperfect by choice. I'm sorry that, that we are who we are and we're being made like Jesus. And so I'm not demanding perfection of those who have proclaimed Jesus Christ, but I am demanding progress towards being more like Jesus. And for those who have not looked and said, you know what, these, these Christians, they're crazy folks, and they're hypocrites, and they're not loving, there's probably an ounce of that in there that, that, that's true, and I'm sorry for that. But you know what I want to do is I want to invite you to come make it better. I want to invite you into the presence of the Lord God Almighty, and I want you to stand before him. I want you to realize that a Christian stands up and puts a target on his back, and the world hates him. And we're doing our best, which will never be enough. That's why we need Jesus. And if you don't have the hope that we're talking about today, 
and you're going to put a lot of false hope in a lot of places. And so how do we deal with the hardships and struggles of life? Friends, we hurry towards hope. I mean fast, quick, and in a hurry towards hope. You run toward it. You get after it. You take off the things that entangle you and ensnare you. You hurry towards hope. You get out of the pessimistic attitude that all hope is lost. If you've ever read Dante's Inferno, what you see in, in the, the, the what's, what's the name of the play? None of you read it. But you know this line, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. That's inscribed on the gates of hell. The divine comedy, that's what it is. That's not what Christianity ought to look like. Christianity ought to say, Abandon all false hope, ye who enter here. Ye who enter into the Holy of Holies, going behind the one who entered in there first, the pioneer of our faith, Jesus Christ. Abandon all false hope, anchor your hope in this Jesus person, and hurry towards it. What that's going to require, this is the part where you get to actually do something today. Are you excited about this? Because I'm excited about this. You've got to kill the spiritual yours. I mean, you gotta, you got to put them down, man. <laughs> the spiritual yours. I'm not talking about the people in your life. I'm talking about the ones that you carry and adopt. Well, things are just bad right now. Yeah. We live in a fallen world that needed a perfect Jesus to come and fix things because we couldn't fix it on our own. You're right. Things are just bad right now. And poo ain't going to help you. You can take that all the ways you want. You've got to stop giving energy to the things. You've got to stop giving life to dead things. The only thing that puts life back in dead things is Jesus Christ. You've got to stop delivering over the best you have on a really hard day to something that is going to be temporary, not eternal, and stop giving it power and authority in your life. Does that mean I can't complain anymore? I'd love to tell you yes. But it does mean that you've got to take some, some perspective on the things you complain about and realize, hey, I can complain about them, but it'd be better for me to just take them to Jesus. Because my hope in getting the situation better is not in my complaining. Because I got, I got news for you. The squeaking wheel doesn't get the grease into heaven. It's the one who bowed his knee and said, you know what? I can't fix this, Jesus. Take over. We hurry towards hope and community because the last thing we want to do is do it on our own. Because he left the 99 to go get after the one to bring him back to the fold. He went after the prodigal son and said, you need to get back to your family. And so if you're out there living without hope right now, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower, if I were just to look at your daily habits and say, you know what, you look like some of the pastors that were surveyed out there, myself included, I'm on many of these things in this list. And you're going it alone, or you don't want to burden people with your problems, or you don't want to be in the middle of all those judgy Christians, you don't want to do all those things, all that is is excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse to say that I put my hope in something other than Jesus Christ. And I've got this false sense of hope that it's going to suddenly get better one day if I just persevere on. Guys, that's foolishness. That's the definition of insanity. That's what it is. So join the other crazy people. 
Come follow Jesus. Come take the, the, the light burden and follow him. So how do we hurry towards hope? Well, I'll read this last passage for this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It's been interesting the last couple of weeks in the adult Sunday school class that we've talked about these things, about practicing hospitality and what false hospitality looks like and when we should and when we shouldn't offer hospitality and what the scripture says about that. But the most interesting thing that I find, especially when we start talking about not living in hope and not engaging the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, is that if we are not involved with other Christ followers, we're hopeless. Hear me. Hopeless. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be around a cross a Christ follower and the hope's going to rub off. It just means we're going to encourage one another. Iron's going to sharpen iron. We're going to spur each other on to good works so that when we get ourselves in a situation of despair and the spiritual eeyore start taking over our lives, what we do is we focus our attention on the God and King above and we start serving others and we realize, you know what? Yeah, my situation is what it is, but I am anchored in Christ with my hope and the hope that I have doesn't show me what I am right now, but I know when Christ returns, I will be like him. And that's the hope that I have. And if you can't say that, and the world ended today, there would be no hope for you. That's just the bottom line. I've been told that we don't preach enough hellfire and damnation sermons anymore. We don't scare people into eternity anymore. But the bottom line is there's a real place called heaven and Jesus is there and I'm going to follow him. And there's a real place called hell and a lot of people are going to walk right into there willingly. And then they'll be kicking and screaming afterwards. And a lot of it has to do with where our hope is today. I hope that things will be better in the future. They don't just get better on their own, friends. You have to make decisions to put your trust in a person named Jesus Christ who, by the way, already has the future figured out. He's got your future, and he's got mine. Eighteen and old, and we're not up to bat yet. Christ followers, get in the game. Get in the game, or take off the uniform. Let's pray. Father, our only hope is in you, and trusting in you, Lord, it's a hard thing to do because we have to get over ourselves. We have to get beyond what we want. We have to overrule our desires. We have to battle the flesh each and every day. And Lord, all of those things are losing propositions. Father, I can't do this without you. And so my hope is in you, O oh Lord. Father, I pray for our church this morning. I pray for our world and our country that's looking for someone or something to come rescue us from whatever the situation may be, from a, a pandemic, from a, a vaccine mandate, from a joblessness to, to global warming, 
to, to hang nails, Lord, whatever the issue may be, we've got to stop putting our hope in all of these false prophets out there. Father, I pray for this church this morning that what they would see, feel, realize, and know is that when they put their hope in you, that all of those other things are temporary and inconsequential to the reality that you've got this. Father, I hope, because I'm anchored in you, I hope that I'll spend more time in your word. I hope that I'll spend more time on my knees. Father, I can't just hope. I have to put some action behind that. So, Father, would you encourage us? Would you enrich us? Would you build us up in community? Would you let those who are out on the fringes, who are hanging out, who are hopeless, Lord, who are looking in and criticizing, who are watching these hypocritical Christians from afar, Father, would you help them to see that we're struggling too? And that what we will be has not yet been made known to us, but we do know that when Christ appears, we'll be like him. So, Father, until that time, can we start practicing now? Would you, would you start encouraging us now to be like Jesus? To not just be morally better, but, Father, to, to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be generous, to be hopeful, to be joyful. would you be the source of hope that we have the anchor for our very soul Father protect us from ourselves let alone the rest of the world Lord thank you for this time thank you for this, this day we got to open up your word Father even thank you for the encouragement even though it was hard that love us unconditionally. Lord, this morning as our service comes to an end, we, we ask you that you would just bless our time here. You would enlighten us, Lord, that we would move out into this world and we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Uh, would you bless our offering this morning as well, that we might be able to continue to promote and provide for those in our community that have need so that they might see Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We bless you these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite you to do two things. First of all, I'm going to invite